Well, as we all know, today is the first Sunday in Lent. Uh, In this Lent, we're going to do something special on Sunday mornings. We're going to have a sermon series for the five Sundays in Lent. And the sermon series is entitled, Dare to Draw Near. And so we're going to reflect over these Sundays, how do, we, how do we draw near to God and how can we even dare uh, to do this? You know, in a sense, uh, the Bible uh, is all about this question, how can we dare to draw near to God? How can we, with our sins and our flaws, stand in the presence of a holy God? That's, that's the question that the Bible wants to answer for us. The Bible is about drawing near to God. And that word dare, uh, that's an important word because it is, it is daring to do this. It takes courage. Uh, there was a gentleman named Rudolf Otto. He was not a Christian, but he wrote a, a seminal work uh, at the fir- in the first part of the 20th century called The Idea of the Holy. And what he argues in this work is he says it's pretty universal across every religion, every culture, uh, that when people draw near to the divine, they find it disturbing and incredibly frightening. Because again, you're, of course, drawing near to the center of the universe. And so what we're going to do this Lent is we're going to explore this question. How can we dare to draw near to God? And I encourage you, as part of your Lenten practice, uh, be part of the series, whether you're here in person or watching from at home. Uh, every Sunday, join us as we explore uh, this theme, drawing near to God. Now, this morning, I want to begin our series by looking at our Old Testament reading uh, from the book of Genesis. Uh, and this is a great reading because it, it speaks to this, this question uh, about how can we draw near to God. Our story comes from the flood narrative. Uh, The flood story takes up three chapters in Genesis. And uh, the passage we got today, we read from, comes at the very end of the story. Uh, And there's two ideas that I want to reflect on that we see in our passage. Uh, The first is our sin. This, This passage, this story of the flood... Uh, it really speaks to the seriousness of our sin. And the passage says some powerful things about our sin. And then second, I want us to see uh, what the passage has to say about God's love and commitment to us uh, despite our sin. So first, we'll look at uh, our sin uh, and how serious that is. But then second, we'll look at God's love and commitment to us in the face of our sin. Now let me begin by saying um, that the story of the flood, uh, it it is not a pretty story. We know that, especially in the beginning. The story begins with a great flood that wipes out every living thing from the face of the earth. I can remember a number of years ago when my children were young, One night, uh, we got together before bed, uh, and I was going to read them a story. And so I decided I'd read from this book called Noah's Noah's Ark. And so we sat down, they gathered around me, and it was a a beautiful book 
uh, with the story, but every page had these vivid illustrations. And so I opened the book and began. Now the first picture that we looked at uh, was a picture of the ark. And you had all these animals flowing into the ark. And the children really, they love this picture. And so we looked at all the different animals that were going into Noah's ark. So after we looked at this, we turned the page. The second picture that we looked at had the ark. It was still there, but now uh, the door of the ark was closed. And over to the side was this group of animals that clearly did not make it into the ark. And, th and they're looking at the ark. And you can see in this, this illustration the first drops of rain uh, appearing. So we looked at that picture and we turned the page. Now the next picture showed all the animals, but at this point the water had begun to rise. And the water was up to the chest of most of the animals. And this is where the, the children started to get a little concerned, a little worried. I mean, they, they kind of saw uh, the direction this was headed. This, this did not look good. So we turned the page. Next picture. At this point, all the animals are underwater, except for a single giraffe, and his little head is still poking out on top of the water. We turn the page, and now Mr. Giraffe is submerged. Now that's where we had to stop the story, because we had a few tears over Mr. Giraffe. You know, the story of the flood, it is a very adult story. I kind of find it fascinating that this is one of the first stories we read our children. It's not a children's story. It's an, it's an adult story. It's the story of a creative God who made the world, and he called this world good. He said it, it, it is very good. And yet, in just a few chapters, the world has gone from good to bad. And it's because of us. Human beings created to be obedient creatures. We began to act like creators of ourselves, gods unto ourselves. And so we begin to see violence and, and corruption and greed enter into God's world. Now we're told that God sees this. And as he sees this sin and evil, God regrets creating the world especially creating us. That's where our story begins. It begins with human sin, our failure to be who God created us to be, and the evil that we authored in the world. Now this is why this story is so fitting to read at the beginning of Lent. This is a season during which we're supposed to confront our sin and confess our guilt and this story says that we as, as humanity, we have lived in such a way as to make our creator regret giving us life. Genesis 6.6, and the Lord regretted that he had made human beings. Now that is a, that is a sobering statement for the Bible to make here. And, and it points to the seriousness of, of, of sin. 
You know, the church is not, not only about reconciliation. The church is not only about love and comfort. The church is also about truth. And this ancient story, it tells us how we got to where we are today. And it says that we have been wrong from the beginning. From the beginning we have been greedy and violent and corrupt. These things that we see in the world around us, they have been with us from the beginning. And so what emerges in this story is a question. A question begins to emerge. God created this world to be good and peaceful, and yet now you have this destructive and violent humanity ruining everything. And the question set before us is, what is God going to do? How is God going to respond to this? You know, I've heard people who dismiss the... um, the Bible, the Christian faith, God, uh, they'll often point to this story, to the flood story. And they say, look, look at the flood story right there in the beginning of the scriptures. God is such a, a, a wrathful God, this vicious tyrant, this judge. And yet what's fascinating in response to that is that in the three chapters that describe the flood, there is not one reference to God's anger. Not one reference to his fury or wrath. That is not how God responds to us. He doesn't respond with anger. Instead, what you have described is a God who is undone. God is described as being full of grief and sadness and pain. As we said, God desires his world to be good and peaceful and yet at the same time God has this incredible compassion for us even in the midst of our sinfulness and so what we see is God grieving over this situation but again we have that question that question that's emerged how is God going to respond how is God going to reconcile his desire for a good and peaceful creation with his deep love and concern for us. Now the first way that he responds, according to the story, is with the flood. God says, I'm just going to start over. I'm going to start fresh. And honestly, that, that is a difficult thing to come to terms with. It does, again, it speaks to the seriousness of of human sin and what it does to the world. But this destructive nature of the flood, that is a difficult thing to to wrestle with. And honestly, in a 15-minute sermon, I can't take that difficulty away from you. But I will say this, and this is important, that's not the point of the story. The flood is not the point. The flood is not the climax of the story. It's not what the story wants to teach us. The point of the story is what comes next. The point of the story is that we are told that God changes his mind. And he says, I want to go in a different direction. After the flood, 
God says never again. In fact, he says it three times. Never, never, never again will I deal with sin in that way. He says, I desire a good world, but I also love humanity too much. And so God, right here, right in the beginning of the scriptures, he says, I will find a new way to heal the world. I'll heal it in a different and new way. Which brings us to our passage. Our passage that comes at the end of the flood story and is really the climax of the flood story. God here makes a covenant with creation. That's the path he, just, he chooses. Our reading said this. God says, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. The point of the story is that God makes a covenant. That's the central teaching. The word covenant appears in our passage six times. And when God makes this covenant, he doesn't just make it with Noah. He makes it with, with all of creation. And as you and I know, to make a covenant is to make a commitment. It's to make a promise. It's to say, I will be this towards you, or I will do this with you. By making a promise, you involve yourself in the life of the other. You don't stand apart from them, you stand with them. And that's the promise of the story, that God has made a covenant with us in the world, that God is committed to us. One writer he puts it this way. I found this helpful. He says, in this story, God binds God's own self to humanity and indeed to all the world in a new and different way. What we see here is that God is no longer only the creator. God is now also the protector. By binding God's self to the fate of humanity, God becomes inherently invested in our future, and in this way, God becomes vulnerable, even exposed. Our sin is serious, but God's love and commitment is shown to be stronger. You know, every religion has a sense of karma. You know, what you put out, you will get back. But this story, it tells us that God disrupts karma. God disrupts it. Which reminds me of this incredible interview with Bono, the lead singer from the band U2. Bono was once being interviewed and he said something quite remarkable. He said, it is a great mystery to me that the creator of all things would have a relationship with creatures like me. And then he says to the interviewer, but you know what keeps me on my knees? It's the difference between karma and grace. And the interviewer says, come again? And Bono says, karma is a law of the universe 
that every action has an opposite and equal reaction, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but grace interrupts it. And so when I bring my sins to my Savior, he does not fling them back at me, but he absorbs them, he annihilates them, and he gives me freedom from them. You see, this story, it teaches us that God is committed to us and to the earth. And of course, you have this incredible sign that God puts in the heavens, the rainbow. Uh, And the rainbow is there um, not just for us. It's actually there primarily to remind God of the covenant he has made. Commentators tell us uh, that this rainbow, the, the beautiful bow that we take pictures of, It's really a symbol of a weapon, the bow, and that God has hung his bow up, unstrung, that he will be towards us no longer an enemy, but rather a friend and a savior, that this God so loved us that he sent his only son, that whomever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God makes a covenant with his creation. And this covenant binds us to the heart of God. And so our future is not finally riding on our behavior or on whatever happens around us, but our future is finally bound to the heart of God. We are bound to the heart of God. And because of this, we can dare to draw near to him. Amen.